When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. You're listening to a Score North podcast right now, and if you're a business owner, so are your customers. In fact, I could be talking about your business right now, telling the tens of thousands of loyal fans about you and sending them to your business. Find out how you can partner with your favorite Score North podcast. Visit scorenorth.com now and enter keyword partner. Fill out the form, and we'll get in touch with you quickly. Once Phil, Judd, Declan, or others start talking about your company, you'll be amazed at how many fans start showing up. So visit scorenorth.com now and enter keyword partner. Phil Mackey, Judd Zolgad. Is it for charity at all? Uh, not that I know of. It's just somebody decided it would be fun. Mackey and Judd. It's like a clown car, but much smellier. On 1500 ESPN. Putting fake money where their big mouths are. Money talks, then a game that I pick. Believe me, it's a winner. What I know could get you rich, because all I pick is winners. Money talks. Mackey and Judd are picking games for this weekend against the spread. Are they pros or Joes? Let's find out. All right, all right. Vikings back in action this weekend. Uh, And the gang's all back together. Todd Furman from the Bet the Board podcast. Uh, last week, we picked a bunch of non-Vikings games, and things went poorly for uh, for, for me and Judd. But uh, Vikings are back in action. Eight more games. What can people find on, on the uh, Bet the Board platforms as they're going into their weekend, Todd? Well, folks can realize that we don't take bye weeks like you guys. So Harrigan and I are real troopers during <laughs> the NFL season. Yeah, that's so, probably true. Great NFL content. We previewed a lot of the marquee matchups this weekend in the NFL. Uh, unfortunately, recorded before the official verdict came down on Ezekiel Elliott's status. Uh, but talked a lot about the Redskins-Vikings and what we can expect there from a line-moving perspective and how to try and handle those teams going forward. Maybe how you're going to want to handicap the Sunday night game between Denver and New England and some of the other uh, big games that will give us a greater indication as we start to pass the midway point on where these teams should be positioned from a gambling perspective. Right on. Let's get right into the games because there's a lot to talk about in and out of some of these games. We have five games on our schedule every week, and we end with the Vikings game. The standings are as follows. Judd went 2-3 and three last week, slipped a little bit, but still maintains a lead at 26-18-1 against the spread. I had my worst week of the season. I went 1-4, 23-21-1 on the year, three games back at Judd. And Dave making up some ground going 3-2, and two, up to 21-23-1, five games back of the leader, Judd Zolgad. Now, Judd, this is the, I think this is the furthest into a season you've led the picks. Uh, maybe last year you guys went back and forth. I don't remember, yeah. But um, but a lot of pressure oh, wow. to maintain your three-point lead. Giants <laughs> and, and, and Niners. I hate you for this. Why, why did you do this to me? One win combined why? on the season. Giants on the road as two-and-a-half-point favorites over C.J. Beathard's San Francisco 49ers. Judd starts. Okay, uh, because I got these picks in a timely fashion last night, I had time to sit down and do my kitchen table due diligence to figure out, Todd Furman, how I could get an edge on these two clowns. And I looked at this game and said, all right, the Giants and the 49ers are both terrible, but there's no way in good conscience that I can take a Giants team that's playing this poorly and go with them. San Francisco's defense, it came down to this. 
is significantly better than the Giants. They're giving up a 5.4 yards per play. The Giants are above that, so I am going to go with the 49ers. Uh, I'm going to make it simple. I ain't going to lay two and a half points with this Giants team. San Francisco outright at home, and Ben McAdoo is looking for uh, an upgraded LinkedIn account following the game. Dave? Can I just say I don't know? Sure. I mean, this game Story sucks. Why did you? I'm with Judd. Why did you do this to? Just, you, know what? you don't get many chances this late in the year with one win combined between two teams. Yeah, and there's a reason you don't pick that game. I'm just gonna say, what the heck? The Giants are gonna go in and get a win. No, I'm not gonna do that. San Francisco. Okay, San Fran. <laughs> you guys all mirrored each other, and you guys are against professional money on this particular <laughs> what? football game. San Francisco opened as a one point favorite. You've seen money come in on the Giants. From a talent standpoint, there's no comparison between these two teams. Obviously, from a level of engagement and energy, effort, whatever else you want to put in the equation, San Francisco gets a nod there. But the Giants' defense was called out by some pretty prominent media members. And while we know there's that infighting back and forth, are they buying into Ben McIndoe as the uh, team completely against him? You still have seen professional money on the Giants. And would not be surprised if they ultimately close as a full field goal favorite on the road against the winless 49ers. Interesting. Uh, I'm going to be glued to that game. I don't know why you guys. Oh, you know, listen, Lord help, help me out here, Todd. From a gambling perspective, wins and losses, I don't care. I'm all about the gamble. I don't care if there's only one win combined. I mean, that's all that matters, but this will probably be one of the lowest volume games on Sunday for sports books. Last weekend, they said the game that really didn't move the needle at all from a watchability standpoint or betting perspective was indeed involving these same 49ers against the Drew Stanton-led Arizona Cardinals. Yeah. New Orleans on the road, traveling uh, up east, uh, northeast to Buffalo. Three-point favorites over the Buffalo Bills. Judd? I sunk my teeth into preparation for this game, and I can tell you right now that temperatures are going to get as low as 21 degrees in <laughs> Buffalo, only getting up to 39 degrees by kickoff. But you know what's going to come with that? I'm going to tell you right now, rain is going to come with that. All of this is going to help to discombobulate the New Orleans Saints' red-hot offense. And so we're going to go with the Buffalo Bills. So... At first glance, this seemed like the obvious game. Like, wait a second. Buffalo at home. The weather's getting colder. Buffalo's not a terrible team this year. And they're the three-point underdogs. It doesn't. None of it made sense. And so in general, when none of it makes sense, I go the other way. New Orleans, and also I'll bring some research to the table here. Football Outsiders DVOA rankings. Uh, New Orleans fifth right now in the NFL. Buffalo 17th. So Football Outsiders sees a pretty big gap between these two teams. I'm going to take New Orleans and swallow the points, Dave. Yeah, my analysis says the Saints are the better team. There you go. When you look at this game, guys, you see New Orleans kind of uh, put the two-game losing streak they started the season with in the rearview mirror. Winners of six straight, both straight up and against the spread. You mentioned Buffalo. This was a team that professional betters figured was poised for aggression. A lot of it came out on that Thursday night against the Jets where they turned the ball over three times and weren't able to overcome all those miscues. Now, teams that have had extra time to prepare playing on those Thursday nights have typically been very good bets this season. But that hasn't stopped professional betters from laying the points with New Orleans at minus 2.5, pushing it closer to a field goal. Because unlike Saints teams in the past, going into weather and playing in the elements, they're able to run the football and can defend a little bit. And that's what has them gravitating towards New Orleans, as they still think Buffalo is overvalued in the betting market. That's fine. All you guys ignore the temperatures, ignore my research. That's just fine. (laughs) All of the experts. That forecast will change in two days. Yeah, exactly. Atlanta. Actually, they're they're building a dome right now in Buffalo. I'm not sure if you knew that. Uh, Atlanta at home as a three-point favorite over Dallas. 
Judd Zolgad. Hey, hey, Todd, what's this line now that Zeke is definitely out, by the way? Numbers really hasn't budged. Still three, and obviously some other major injury concerns. Julio Jones availability, Des Bryant, some injuries for the Cowboys on the offensive line. Uh, But you saw what happened with this price. It went from Atlanta, uh, a three-point favor was about even money, so the juice adjusted 20 cents, but still a three for our uh, argument's sake. Okay, uh, for the sake of this segment, I am going to say that Zeke being out is going to make a difference, definitely for Dallas. Uh, Atlanta has been disappointing to me, but in this case, I am actually going to go with the home team Falcons. Yeah, this is tough. I, f- I feel like, it, I don't know, this is another one that to me jumps out. So people are going to say, well, with Zeke Elliott out, boy, that's a, I mean, that's just to lose one of the best weapons in the NFL, Dallas, that's going to be uh, several points difference for Dallas. And I'm curious to get Todd's response on this. I don't think as good as Zeke Elliott is, I think that offensive line is helping a lot with that. And I don't think Zeke Elliott from a gambling standpoint is worth several points in one game. So uh, Dallas is the better team, even without Zeke Elliott in my mind. And so uh, three points is too much. I'll take Dallas outright maybe to win this game. I think that's not a bad prediction, but I do think this is Atlanta's last stand. With them at home, three points isn't a huge number. It might be too much, but what the heck. One more time on the Falcons. Well, Zeke Elliott, as far as his impact is concerned, the general consensus amongst professional batters is that nobody at a skill position is worth more than one and a half points to the number. But I'll play devil's advocate to that because I do think Ezekiel Elliott masks a lot of the deficiencies that Dallas has on the defensive side. And if they're not able to put together long, sustained drives behind the likes of Alfred Morris, Darren McFadden, and Rod Smith, whoever becomes the bell cow during the six-game suspension, it's going to expose a stop unit that I think is average to slightly below average, even with a healthy Sean Lee out there. You factor in Des Bryant and his availability, the drop-off to Terrence William and Cole Beasley as your number one and number two receivers could put Dallas behind the eight ball. You mentioned the Falcons last stand, and that's ultimately what will get professional betters looking to play the money line and dabble a little bit on Atlanta, assuming that Julio Jones is at least available to go at something close to 75%. All right, fair enough. Uh, So these guys, uh, Dave and Judd, you hate when I put cesspool games on here, so I had to put a second one because it's in the division and it's a cesspool game. Yeah, you did. The Chicago Bears, I believe this is the first time they've been favored all year, and it's a a five-and-a-half-point home favorite (sighs) over the Green Bay Packers, Judd. And it's probably too much, and and the Packers traditionally, of course, because the quarterback play is superior, cover the spread. But in this case, seeing what we have seen uh, from the Packers uh, with Rodgers out and knowing that Chicago is ranked eighth overall in yards allowed per game and their rushing attack is also number eight, I am going to go with the Bears at home. Wow. I hate this game. Laying, the laying almost a touchdown. I'm let, yeah, 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 I'm just, just uh, I, I, I mean, the Bears, I think the Bears win this game, but I mean, five and a half points. I know. Like the, the Bears getting laying five and a half points is way too much for me, especially if they haven't been favored all year. So, you know, people talk about how bad Brett Hundley and the Packers offense is. It ain't like the Bears offense is, you know, moving moving defenses down the field for 400 yards a game. So I'll take Green Bay to keep it closer, Dave. Yeah, I'm with you, Phil. Bears don't beat anybody by five and a half. Sorry, I'll never never make that bet with this Bears team. You know, Dave, I don't know if it's possible for any team to beat anyone by five and a half. Thank you for doing that, <laughs> Phil. <laughs> This game, guys, hasn't really had a hey, professional consensus on it in the least. I will say that the number on this game before we saw Green Bay lay an egg on Monday night against the Lions would have been the Bears minus three. So the market has responded and responded strongly to Brett Hundley in his second career start. You look at the Bears' track record, you guys are exactly right talking about him. Frequently they've been favored recently. Well, they've only been favored five times over the last three seasons. Wow. Their record in those five games, 0-5 straight up. 
0-5 against the spread. I think as this number starts to trend out, the one constant we know will be the Bears' defense. Uh, but you're exactly right. Lang, nearly a touchdown with a Mitchell Trubisky-led offense, a bit of a challenge. Uh, I think you'll see ultimately some professional money coming on Green Bay as we get closer to kickoff. And the main event of the evening, fighting out of the blue corner. The Minnesota Vikings on the road, point-and-a-half favorites over Washington, Judd. All right, so the Vikings went into Washington and lost last year as part of their post-bi-week uh, collapse. I am going to go on the assumption that it's not going to, to happen again. Also, Mike Zimmer is 37-19 and 19 against the spread during his coaching career with the Vikings. I am going to say that the Vikings are going to win this game and cover that spread. That's pretty amazing. Like, very So if good. you're on the fence, just pick the Vikings pick the against Vikings. the spread, apparently. Yes. Um, I, I Again, I'm, I might be pulling this from years past, but isn't there something to be said about playing a hard-fought game against the Seahawks and then your performance suffering the next week? So uh, I'm going to say Vikings cover the one-and-a-half in this one over Washington. And uh, and win this game, Dave. Yeah, no, no outcome. I think would surprise me. I could see either team laying an egg, but with the bye week and like you said, Phil, the difficult win, having to go across the country then back home again. Uh, yeah, purple are going to win this one, and they're going to do it by more than a point and a half. Bunch of homers here. Bunch the of homers. Trickling in has been actually money from the professionals on the Vikings. One injury that you guys know all too well to keep tabs on will be the status of Everson Griffin. If he's unable to go, it changes the dynamic quite a bit of the handicap and the Vikings' ability to disrupt everything that Washington wants to do offensively, especially with an offensive line uh, that doesn't have a ton of experience and a team that really has struggled to run the football. Uh, but you look at what Case Keenum has provided, and I don't want to say it's a game manager with a negative connotation, but he's gone out there, done what's been asked, and we know the Vikings defense carries its own weight. So that's what has professionals gravitating towards the Vikings, assuming that they will be healthy at all the key positions. Right on. Uh, that's Todd Furman from the Bet the Board podcast. Go get it and go be smarter and go listen on a regular basis. Thank you, Todd. Good luck with your picks this weekend, boys. See you, Todd. All right. That's our buddy for the last few years on this radio show. Uh, Todd Furman used to be an odds maker, work at Caesars Palace. Did I come prepared today? Yeah, you had that a bunch buffalo, of... That Buffalo, the temperature thing, and, and the fact that no precipitation is coming in Buffalo, that shows a level of dedication to this show that's off the charts. <laughs> that's the type of thing that gets somebody a bonus. Why don't you put that much effort into all the other stuff on the show? Yeah, it's a lot of work. Mackie and Judd are back. Put down the sports page and listen. On 1500 ESPN. Dave is serving a, a punishment, but I think it's not even really a punishment. I was Dave, say. Dave is serving a quarterback cesspool challenge loss punishment that's really more just like amusement today. But uh, there will be visuals of this, and we'll tell you about it probably before the end of the hour. Put this up on our social media. This is, yeah, it's too good. We'll give you one hint. Dave looks like uh, <laughs> Dave looks like a guy to, right now who is living a little boy's dream. If you're a sports fan, probably. All right, real quick, let's let's do a, a few minutes here on our Gopher basketball team, which starts the regular season or the non-conference season tonight. Mm -hmm. They have climbed up to 15th in the preseason rankings, and I can't remember the last time they were a top 15 team going into a season, unless I'm missing something. No, I think it was, I think it might have been the 90s. Yeah, it's it, it's probably been, you know, 20 years. So I was just kind of going through a checklist of things the Gophers could maybe look to accomplish this season that they, they don't frequently accomplish. Okay, well, number one, they haven't had an NBA player drafted, or I think... Even like undrafted. I don't think they've had any NBA because Vincent Greer was in a camp one time for the mm -hmm. Heat, and that was about it. 
Mm-hmm. It's been since 2004, Chris Humphrey, since they've had a legit NBA player on their roster. Mm-hmm. Could we see the evolution of an NBA player like a like an Amir Coffey or somebody, uh, Isaiah Washington? Sure. That's something to keep an eye on. They have, if you go back in their recent history, only one above 500 season in conference last year since 2004-2005. In fact... Since the banners were were stripped in the late 90s, mm-hmm. in conference, the Gophers only have three above 500 seasons. They went 9-7 and seven in 2001-02 yeah. when they made it to the second round of the NIT. They went 10-6 and six in the regular season of the, in the Big Ten season of the 05-04-05. Okay. Uh, bounced in the first round of the NCAAs. That was the Vincent Gray season. And then they finished 500 a couple times with Tubby and went to the NCAAs. But last year was the first time in over a decade they finished above 500 in conference. Like, the bar is not set very high for what success looks like with this program. Mm -hmm. I think all of us would take a good top three finish for the first time in a long time in the Big Ten and win a couple NCAA tournament games and get yourself into the Sweet 16. Like, that's pretty fair, right? Yes. Here's what I want. Because I've seen it before and it's very, very difficult. Doable and it does. It probably doesn't happen enough for this program. What I want is sustained success. I'm not saying they have to win conference titles consistently, but you know what? Like go for football, we still don't know, right? I mean, go for football is up a little bit, then they go down, and yeah. then they go up a little bit more, and then they just crash. And in my lifetime, I have never seen go for football be really good for a sustained period. What I want from go for basketball, starting with last year now, is to see a consistent program. It's doable. You can get the players here. The facilities are improving, right? There is nothing, I don't think, that should stop this program from becoming a consistent NCAA tournament team. That's I what I would like. I agree. Yeah, getting getting to the NCAA tournament shouldn't be something that happens when you pop up once in a while. Absolutely. It should be, there's 68 teams that make it. Yep including a lot of small schools from small conferences that have no business. And I get that those schools are taking up spots that, like the Gophers are better than Stony Brook, but Stony Brook's going to get in as a 16 seed sometimes because they win their conference tournament. But there's enough spots. There's always like 35, maybe close to 40 spots for those Power 5 type conferences in college basketball. Mm -hmm. And then you look across the border and we find ourselves with Wisconsin envy a lot as sports fans in this town. The Badgers. I'm gonna I'm gonna just read you their conference <laughs> records. Okay. Yes. Their conference records. I'm just gonna go back in time, starting with last year. Even when they have down years, they go twelve and six in conference. Yeah, they make the tournament every year. Sixteen and two. I'm sorry. Uh twelve and six, yes. twelve and six, yes. sixteen and two. Yes. Twelve and six, twelve and six, twelve and six, thirteen and five, thirteen and five, ten and eight. That was kind of a down year. In which they won an NCAA tournament game, I believe. Yes. Um Going back in the middle of bowl, Ryan, uh, 16 and 2, 13 and 3, 9 and 7, 11 and 5, 12 and 4, 12 and 4, 11 and 5, 9 and 7. And the last time Wisconsin finished 500 even in conference yep. was under Dick Bennett, his last full season. They went to the final four that year. Yeah. They finished 8 and 8 in conference and went to the bleeping final four. They haven't had a train wreck season at Wisconsin basketball in 20 years. So, and it ain't like Wisconsin has a bunch of McDonald's All-Americans thrown about the no. roster on an annual basis. No. You know, they don't have Carl Anthony Towns at all five positions. And list, look, look, when it comes to Wisconsin, for the sake of the conversation that we are conducting right now, let's sever football and basketball, all right? Wisconsin football and the Gophers at one time were both crappy. 
And 25 years ago now, Wisconsin got good, and, and they, they've been good since, and the Gophers can't even get close. So so let's forget about that sport because they've just pulled away, and they're really good, and the Gophers aren't. Basketball is incredibly comparable to me. Like, what is if you say, well, Wisconsin gets these players, and, and in football the conversation goes off into a place where it's just not possible for the time being at least or for a long time for the Gophers to compete there— you tell me, what do you see in Wisconsin basketball where you say, well, the Gophers can't do that? There's nothing. Yeah, it's really, it's just They're comparable. they've come up with, they're organized. Mm-hmm. They've come up with the right pillars, so the right athletic director, the right coaches, and then and then they have the system that works for them, which is sort of boring to watch a lot of times. I think they've been, you know, when they had that Sam Decker team that went to the, they went to the championship game against yeah. Duke, right? Uh, or they, Kentucky, they were for sure right? a final. Did they play four. Kentucky. Yeah, Kentucky that year. Carlton so, Towns, I think. like they've so they've been able to up the offense in some ways, but they yes. they have a system, they have a process, they've got the right pillars in place, and I think Richard Pitino is a really good coach. I think he's a really good recruiter. I think he's been slow building something that re- that required some slow build. Mm-hmm. You, you don't just waltz in right away and start to lock down the borders and get Trey Jones like that doesn't happen right away. You got to get the Daniel Oturu before you can get the Trey Jones. You got to get the Amir Coffee before you can get, you know, the next two guys. Yep. So the fact that he's gotten, he, he landed three of the top five, and, and now uh, Daniel Oturu and the other kid, they just signed earlier this week. Like those are, those are, that's the groundwork that, that's laid in, in, to, to get those Sweet 16 teams, to have that depth off the bench where you're not, they've had teams where they barely had five viable starters in the past 15 years. Mm-hmm. And then they go to the bench and it's like, uh, Otto Oceanix, um, um, like Maverick Ahanmisi, like who's going to come in and, and compete against Michigan State? Now, at least off the bench, they might have one of the top freshman point guards in the country, Isaiah Washington. Like they have actual players yes. coming off their bench. But we produce, and this was not the case years and years ago, but we produce enough top-notch basketball players in the state now where where if you have a program that's successful and can keep them home, it gives you a viable chance in-state to be competitive. The other thing is this, and this is where, where we need to get past this fear. When jobs open up, it needs to stop being, oh, Patino, now he's going to take that job. You need to get to a point where you say to yourself, your program is so successful and it's got itself in such good shape that you're not concerned about that. Mm-hmm. I mean... Wisconsin didn't get to a point where where when jobs opened up, they said, you know what, Bo's going to bolt for that job. Bo Ryan's going to leave for that. So we need to, at least in basketball, I think, we should be able to get to the point where you can keep the majority, not all, but the majority of your good players here, and you should have an infrastructure where the head coach wants to stay here. And I'll add to that, too. In order to have that sustained success, really it's measured in postseason. It's measured in the NCAA tournament. And I would say, you know, to some degree, your conference tournament, if you can win that a couple times. But when you think back to the resumes or the accomplishments of coaches, you don't think about the regular season records and the like no one that that Wisconsin Final Four team under Dick Bennett. I I believe that was their first ever Final Four in the late 90s. I think you're right. Nobody remembers that they only went eight and eight in conference. They finished sixth in conference. I certainly did. Yeah, They went to the bleeping Final Four as an eight or nine seed. But the key to getting to those sweet 16s on a regular basis and the elite eight you know, do what Tom Izzo does, do what Bo Ryan did for a long time. It ain't getting in as the 10 seed because now you're playing legit teams, like legit seven seed teams. You got to get in as a one, two, or a three seed, at least semi-frequently, 
So you can get that relatively gimme game in the first round against some smaller school mm-hmm. and then a game in which you're favored in the second round. So the regular season sets you up for that postseason resume. But like usually when the Gophers get in, even last year, they were a five seed, you know, and that was they were way overseeded right. uh, compared to some of the other teams. So get in as a four, a three, a two, and then pave your path just be to consistent. be favorites. Just be consistent now. Just let's have let's have a sustained, really good run of consistent basketball. Now. Yeah. Let's get back when we come back here. Let's get back to the Twins hot stove because we, we brought this up about two hours ago at Warren's expanding on. John Heyman, very credible national baseball reporter, saying the Twins could be in the mix on you, Darvish, and Jake Arietta. Interesting. Mackie and Judd. Phil Mackie, Judd Zolgad. Truly outrageous, egregious, and offensive. Mackie and Judd on 1500 ESPN. Mackie and Judd. I can't wait to post these videos sometime during the show of Dave's Punishment today. Little hint for you. Yeah. Uh, So there's a report. We got into this earlier in the show. John Heyman is very plugged in around Major League Baseball. And he was pretty careful with his wording of this report, but he writes for FanRag Sports. He's on MLB Network. He's an insider. And he said this about the Twins. The Twins are said by sources to be considering a run at one of the big free agent starters available after their amazing success story last year. The Twins are thought to be considering, so that's careful wording. He's not just throwing this out there, but he's definitely hearing it. Yeah. And wants to couch it to some degree. Yes, definitely. Somebody plugged in, told him, yeah, we're in on this. Mm-hmm. They are thought to be considering even the very top guys, including you, Darvish, and Jake Arrieta. Mm-hmm. So, all right. Let's say the Twins are in on, that they're going to they're gonna make a run at like a big pitcher. Would you rather them maybe sign a big you, Darvish contract? Let's say it winds up being, I don't know, $125 million over five years or something that they got their lockdown guy, and they're going to spend more money on a starting pitcher, and then maybe go grab like second, third tier bullpen guys in free agency. Or would you rather them go get Wade Davis, big time closer, best closer on the market, firefighter reliever for like fifteen million dollars a year, mm-hmm. and then go after maybe an Alex Cobb or like a mid to low rotation starter? What would the, what would you do? What would the term be on the difference in the two contracts? So the Darvish versus Davis. So I think I think you Darvish uh, MLB Trade Rumors has you Darvish as like a five or a six year contract. In right. fact, I'll grab that really. Uh, MLB Trade Rumors. Blah, blah, blah. Uh, I know that the the Wade Davis contract is being projected at like fifteen million dollars a year over. It's like $60 million over four years, okay. which kind of mirrors the same contract that Aroldis Chapman got. Uh, that, is it Mark Melanson who signed with the San Francisco Giants? <laughs> Former Pirate. Last year. And, yep, Nationals reliever. So we're ta- for Wade Davis, we'd be talking $15 million a year for like four or five years. For you, Darvish, yep. six years, $160 million is the projection from Emily Trey Rivers. This is not even close. For me personally, Wade Davis. It's not even close right now. If you thought... If you looked at the entire Twins personnel and what they were going to go to spring training with and said, we need a starter, and that's all we need, then I might go with, okay, pursue the pursue an elite starter. But if we're going to have a conversation about a team that very much is trying to build something up and, and about a team that very much needs bullpen help and the fact that the Davis term would, would be shorter than the Darvish term, for now, going into 2018, I'm going Wade Davis. Yeah. Man, I it's not that tough for me. I'm torn because Wade Davis, as good as he is, it feels like there's a shelf life on some of these relievers, these flamethrowing guys. He's 32 years old. Yep. And 
he's been ridden really hard the last few years. You know, he he was kind of a failed starter in Tampa Bay. Kansas City started using him in like 70 games a year for a couple of years. Like every other day he would pitch and he was lights out. Mm-hmm. And last year with the Cubs, he just wasn't quite okay. as lights out. So I'm you but then you Darvish has had some let's, injury issues. Let's take out the names for for a second and just allocate the term and funds. For where the Twins are right now, if I'm going to spend, yeah. I'm going to build my bullpen up. All right, um I'm with you. I'm going to go for the ace reliever first. Because you, it's possible you might even have an ace starter in Jose Barrios going into his second full season. Absolutely. And, you know, Irvin Santana, maybe he doesn't replicate what he did last year, but maybe he's comfortably in there. If you have quality starting pitching, you can always trade for that Justin Verlander type in the middle of the season. But if you're going to, I guess if, if I have to choose between six years, 160 for you, Darvish, or four years, $60 million for away Davis. And they both have some questions and, you know, maybe they're both due for a, like an elbow thing, but you never know. You can't time that market. I'm with you. I would go for Wade Davis and then I would try and spend on like a Lance Lynn. Now, as far as what those guys are projected to make. So Lance Lynn, very solid mid rotation starter with the St. Louis Cardinals. So you know what his background is too. Like if you come up with the St. Louis Cardinals, that's a pretty solid developmental organization. You're not getting damaged goods. You're not getting Ricky Nolasco coming up with the Marlins or something. You're getting Lance Lynn coming up with the Cardinals, 30 years old now. He's projected four years, $56 million. That's very reasonable. $12 million a year on a four-year deal for a Lance Lynn? Yep. I, I If you if you took yes. that and then you took a big contract for a Wade Davis or a Greg I, Holland, I, who's I another tier down. that. Yeah. I do your, that way before. Your team is a lot better with those two signings. The other thing to look at that's going to be intriguing is if the Twins are good next year is who are the um who are the potential high price starters on bad teams and or guys who are going to hit the market after 2018. Because there is to your point, there's a really good case to be made that right now you, you go out and build your bullpen up a lot. And that you then eye the the July thirty first market, right? Yeah, because that makes more sense. And you're always going to have good pitchers on bad teams, uh, starters. You're always going to have the ability to go get a guy. Mm-hmm. Now you're going to have to pay for him. It's going to cost you a pr- a pretty good prospect probably, but that ability is going to exist. I have a list here. This is MLB trade rumors is so awesome. They just like everything you could ever wonder they have in front of you. So I have a list of the free agent starting pitchers for next year. So you're talking the rent of pitchers. Correct. Madison Bumgarner is a free agent, but he has a $12 million team option. There's zero chance, barring another you know, injury-plagued season, that Madison Bumgarner doesn't come back for $12 million, that the Giants don't exercise that option. Carlos Carrasco also has a club option, but again, like he's lights out and the Indians wouldn't let him go. But there's a few other names, like Gio Gonzalez had a nice bounce-back season. He's a free agent after the year. You could target him as a, as a rent-a-pitcher, a trade type. Dallas Keuchel is an unrestricted free agent. Okay. Now, Houston's going to be in the mix for back-to-back say, championships. Who, who might so, not be in the mix here? Yeah, that's where it gets... Are you seeing any names of guys who are on middling teams that might fall off the table a little bit? Yeah, David Price has an opt-out, but the Red Sox are going to be good. Drew Pomerantz, but again, the Red Sox are going to be good. Uh, so there's not a whole lot in terms of those. 
Now you could, you're not limited to just the guys who are free agents after the year. In fact, Justin Verlander had multiple years on yes. his contract, and Houston picked uh, up a lot to get. Garrett Cole is going to pitch for a bad Pirates team, most likely, and he's going to have two years left of team control. You could trade for him in the middle of the season, so you could make you could make that trade happen if you were in the mix in the middle of July. It's just going to cost you a lot in prospects. But yeah. but if you but if you think that you are in a position to win. You make the trade. That's the thing about this year that to me you don't you don't necessarily you shouldn't feel forced to give up your prospects now because the reality is okay you're getting into the playoffs and you might even win the one game playoff but do you have a legitimate chance to win the World Series and the answer is probably not. Mm-hmm. But where Houston almost made a huge mistake and in the end they didn't was when you have that chance you make that trade. Yeah. Here's another thing to think about with the if Twins and how can you get better for next season? Obviously adding two pitchers. The names we're talking about here and the reason why we're we're on hot stove twin stuff is because John Heyman's reporting the Twins could be he's hearing the Twins are going to be in on you Darvish this offseason, which is not normally the, the the Twins aren't shopping on the not top shelf of free agents, right? Yeah, but this is a new front office and and these guys have different ways of going about their business, so it, it wouldn't be that surprising. Um, another thing to think about when projecting how can the Twins get better? Yes, adding a couple pitches would be huge. How about a full season of Byron Buxton at the plate? Buxton and Polanco were unbelievable in the second half. What if that light bulb stays on and they both give you six months of the performances they gave you offensively in the second half? Yeah, you're in. That's several more wins. Yes, right. Like if Buxton does that again, that's several more that, wins alone. That's what needs. At least one of, if not both, those things are what needs to happen to make that trade to where you get to the the deadline and say, we are willing to give up, let's say, a really good prospect Mm -hmm. and a secondary one. Mm -hmm. If that happens, if you get Buxton, Polanco, Sano, for instance, comes back and can play the entire season and, and hits well... That's what'll put you in a position to potentially say, okay, if we've rebuilt rebuilt the bullpen, excuse me, correctly, now you have a chance on July 31st to make what is a significant trade. Yep, uh, we did a, a full Touch 'Em All podcast yesterday, like a half hour on Otani, this this 23 year old Japanese phenom, the next the Japanese Babe Ruth is what they're calling him, and we did a full half hour on, you know, what kind of a player could he be, you know, what a what do all the reports say? How likely is it the Twins could be interested? How would that work? And so you can find that. Download the Touch Mall podcast, 1500ESPN.com, iTunes, wherever you would find podcasts. We're going to catch up with Courtney Cronin, Vikings insider for ESPN.com, in about 15 minutes or so. And it's Game Show Friday, so be ready. Be by your phones. We'll tell you how you can win prizes. Mackie and Judd on this Friday. Phil Mackey. Clapping backs and shaking hands and kissing babies. You'd see some smiles. You do see some brightness in his eyes. Judd Zolgad. Here's the difference between Judd and me. I'm a pessimist because it's fun. He's a pessimist because he's serious. <laughs> he believes it. Mackey and Judd on 1500 ESPN. Hey, remember to show your gratitude this Veterans Day at O'Gara's. Not too long from now with 1500 ESPN and CenturyLink. Garage Logic will be doing their broadcast live today from O'Gara's 1 to 3 powered by CenturyLink during that broadcast. All veterans who stop by are invited to enjoy a free meal and 25% of sales will be donated to local military charity serving our troops. More details at 1500ESPN.com. Keyword events. If we are going to continue with the exercise of Thursday night National Football League games, after this year, can we please do away with the color rush? 
That thing last night, the more I think about it, those Seahawks jerseys, they look, I mean, you well, the look, pants were the same color. You look like as highlighters. the turf, too. You look, now, now I'm afraid, and we're yet to see these, but at some point in time, the Wolves are going to wear a jersey that looks the same to me. I mean, it, it, you look like a human highlighter. I don't have a huge problem with it. I Really? I think it's, it's so ugly. I don't know. Sometimes it can be obnoxious. And I have no fashion sense. Zero. And I think they're ugly. Well, if you had no fashion sense, then wouldn't maybe you? That's the problem. Maybe you wouldn't <laughs> maybe understand right. the brilliance of of the uniforms. Well, I just want to be done with them. Well, I, I what I don't get is why is it that like the Seahawks wear their highlighter uniforms, but we but the Packers wear all white. I don't know why. Why can't we put the the Packers in like an all green John Deere colored uniform? It, Let's really spice this thing up. I get your point. I get your point. Yeah, just walking cheese sticks. Didn't someone wear all yellow at one point, like the Steelers or somebody? Well, it was a Bucks. Uh, Rams was it Rams? Yeah, because it looked like ketchup and mustard. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> well, the first game, the first color rush that they did last year was the Bills and Jets, and that that was the game where, where they got complaints because colorblind people literally yes, couldn't right. tell the teams apart. They were like, "We can't tell what team's playing. We're colorblind." If you're if you're the executive producer or the if you're the idea guy behind the color rush uniforms, do you feel bad that you didn't think about the colorblind aspect? Is that like a thing? That, are you that like, is that like a fireable thing? I feel bad that anyone had to watch those teams play in those jerseys. <laughs> Forget the colorblind people. I don't. I feel bad for everyone who had to watch it. Yeah, it does almost feel like the games were so bad for a while that they needed something to. Oh, let's just like distract people and, and let's let's put another hook in there. Yeah, somehow. exactly. This will this will really you would get never them. do that for the three o'clock Fox game of the no. week, right? Coming, put the Cowboys in. Coming up the Bills and the Browns, and you're not going to notice how bad this game is because everyone's in a jersey that's going to make you want to puke. In fact, they're all just the same color. No one even has to know like who's on which team. It doesn't matter. <laughs> you can't tell the quarterbacks apart. <laughs> anyway, I just want them. If we're going to continue this, I just want them to be done with this. What are some other Two things years. in sports? that we could trim the fat on. I don't think we need those color rush uniforms. I don't hate them as much as you do. I don't think they add anything. Like it's not something you it doesn't like make the sport better. Thursday night football, I, I get that people watch it. I think we could trim the fat on that. Yep. What could we trim the fat on in hockey? What could what could we trim the fat on in well I'll start in baseball. I'll baseball st- you could trim the fat. You could just trim games. That's what I, I was gonna say NBA, NHL baseball, I would trim games. Now they never will, but I would take baseball back to 154, which it was pre-1961, and there is, other than it being a complete cash grab now, you give me one reason why the regular season in hockey and basketball are this long. There's no good reason for it. Yeah. There, you don't need 82 games. You don't need, from a hockey standpoint, you just don't need to be playing hockey in June. Absolutely. You, you could be playing hockey from, like, September through April, if you wanted to. And now baseball, baseball. I think if you tried to take it back to 154, you'd get a huge debate from from the baseball historians who say, well, but it went to 162, and all our records are now based on this since 1961. I mean, baseball, you, you always have the default for the baseball fan who will say, but our records are based in this number. Hockey and basketball? Who's, who is, other than the people who aren't going to make as much, yeah. who's going to care? Well, yeah, and I, I don't know, like, it's, uh, ba- baseball, for instance, for how, f- how finicky people are about changing things with baseball, people also forget that, you know, baseball's been around since the 1800s. You know that it took six non-strikes or six balls before you could walk a hitter in the 18, late 1800s? Mm-hmm. So oh, they yeah. changed the number of pitches needed to walk somebody. Mm-hmm. 
they've changed the height of the mound to make it easier or harder to you know to to get a hit off a pitcher. They lowered it in 1968 or 69. Yes. So they've done some pretty drastic things. I mean, the NBA painted a new line on the court yeah, well, to make it more exciting. And and the thing with baseball, where, where the baseball historian, and these are our statistics and they're sacred, where the credibility is really shot, and this is fine, but it's where it's shot, the DH. Like, you took a position out of the lineup, removed it, and said, to add offense in the American League, yeah. not the National League, but in the American League, we're going to put more, more offense in, which is, that's fine, but right there, you lose your right to say, but you can't touch the rest of the game. I know. I mean, there's that would be like taking hockey and a- adding, you know, saying that we're going to have a skater slash goaltender who's going to come. Okay, you do that, you lose your right to say, but our game always revolved around these uh, premises. Yeah, I wonder how many people complain when they change the height of the mound. Because, like, people are complaining, the traditionalists, about the baseball. You can't you can't change well, the baseball. Well, I mean, they changed the height of the mound. If I'm not mistaken, look up uh, Carl Yastrzemski's 1967 season with Boston. 301 batting average yeah. led the league, right? I, yeah, I believe Triple Crown. And you look at all, all those offensive statistics, and you have evidence right there of why, why they changed the mound and why, if that was the case in 68, why about five or six years after that, the DH came along. Because they said, we've got to get offense back in. At least the American League did. Yeah. Uh, let's come back. Let's talk some Vikings here and uh, get some thoughts from Courtney Cronin on the second half of the season. Teddy Bridgewater. Courtney Cronin covers the Vikes for ESPN.com. She's also a regular on the Purple Podcast with Matthew Collar. And she'll join us when we come back on a game show Friday. It's Mackie and Judd.